Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word and turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we are gathered here together, uh, some with us at long distances, but we are gathered here to receive your word preached. And so, Father, we pray and ask that you would bless this time, that your spirit would be active and would be uh, anointing the words of my mouth, Father, that you would be um, working by your spirit in our hearts to receive your word, Lord, and that it would penetrate our hearts. Father, we pray that we would not walk away from the mirror having forgotten what we look like, but we would see and observe and remember and do according to what is written here. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this is much better to preach to actual faces. I mean, the elders and deacons have actual faces, but they're all ugly. And there are pretty faces out there now this week, so it's wonderful. Um, I'll pay for that later, I know, but it had to be said. No, it's, it's uh-oh. <laughs> we don't have hard pews at home. Another reason to stay home for the live stream. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's give our attention now to God's Word and... And I'll begin this way. This passage that we're looking at this morning has to do with humility. And humility, we think, is weakness. Humility, we, we honestly think, is weakness. Our current crisis in our country and around the world, for that matter, has revealed that the people of the Christian church today are unyielding, that they are quick to claim expertise, that they are short on compassion, and generally lacking humility. Now, social media reveals our pride and it throws fuel on the fire of our pride. Now, humility, though, Scripture says, is godliness. Humility is godliness. 
one of the chief characteristics of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was and is his humility. I mean, think about it. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In Philippians 2.8, we learn that the, the way he was born of a woman and the way of his death demonstrated his humility. Right? Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Jesus, while he suffered uh, humiliation on the cross, even that humiliation did not um, cause his pride to flare. He was devoid of pride. But he, he preached, even then, humility. Jesus, while he suffered humiliation all through this life, was preaching humility and giving an example of humility. He said, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It was one of the sermons that Jesus preached to his people. And think upon the fact that the eternal Son of God is now forever enfleshed. Forever enfleshed in a body like yours. He is, for your sake, confined to a human body, both God and man forever. That, that is undoubtedly humility. And for some reason, we think humility to be weakness. Right? We equate humility with effeminacy. Or we equate humility with being a doormat or with remaining silent in the face of false accusers and silent in the face of injustice. Our hero is Patrick Henry, right, who said, give me liberty or give me death. It's not Stephen the deacon who, as he breathed his last after being stoned by Israel's best and brightest, said, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. It's not Jesus. Our hero is not Jesus, who, as he was hanging from the tree to redeem his people, said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Humility seems like such a waste to us. Humility is to miss the opportunity to assert ourselves and our superior ideals and our superior way of calling truth from social media headlines, our superior sensitivity to the plight of modern man. Right? Humility, humility would be to admit that we're not experts. Humility would mean having to go through life not being cock-sure of yourself like a 15-year-old boy. Our heroes, dear brothers and sisters, are those who resist authority. In other words, our heroes don't resemble the Lord Jesus Christ, who was humble, 
before despicable and unjust men like Pilate, who submitted himself to the will of the Father to the point of death on a cross, who though he could have called upon a legion of angels, didn't. We much prefer the Jesus who castigated the Pharisees as hypocrites than we do the Jesus who submitted himself to Pilate's authority, even though Pilate's authority had been given to him from Jesus himself. So what am I saying at this point? I'm I'm making the point that we tend to laud certain traits of godliness even at the expense of other traits, right? We tend to jettison the goodness of humility because we have been taught that silence in the face of injustice is the worst kind of weakness. Modern church is filled with social justice warriors, whether on the left or the right. Of the political spectrum, the church is filled with social justice warriors. And the reason we have gotten there is because we have been taught to reject humility. We've been taught to reject submission, to reject authority, to reject the example of Jesus Christ himself. Right? Oh, no one would come out and say that that's what they're teaching. Let's, ex- let's you know, resist the example of Jesus Christ. But that is where we find ourselves today. Pastors are trained to be activists rather than preachers of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The cross, the ultimate locus of humility in all ages just doesn't cut it anymore. So what is humility? What is humility? The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, what does he say next? Regard one another as more important than yourself. That, I think, is the heart of humility. Regarding others is more important than yourself. Pride is the opposite of that, right? Pride is regarding yourself as more important than everybody else. And that was the the sin of Satan, who did not regard God as more important than himself, but desired to be in the place of God. Jesus, though, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. That leads to another characteristic of humility. Humility is is knowing your place. It's knowing your place. And, And in knowing your place, it's being content with that place. Right? If you're just a private in the army, it's being content with being a man without authority. Right? But knowing your role. Right? It's, it's acknowledging, it's understanding your station in life. That is not a way we talk today, your station in life. We, you know, we're, we're told that you don't have a station in life. You can, if you're a man, you can be a woman. If you're a woman, you can be a man. There's no limitations to what you can be. You can be all that you want to be. And, and we don't talk like this, your station in life. Right? 
back in days past, they, they talked about your, knowing your station in life because they realized that people had inherent limitations to some little faith was given and to some much faith was given and there lies a real difference, right? It's acknowledging that there are things that are too big for you to understand. There are too big, too, big things too big for me to understand, for anybody to understand and embracing that station in which God has placed you. You may know how to change the oil in your car, for instance, right? But that does not make you an engineer who can design an engine for the next Formula One race car. But you may be tempted to put something on Facebook that makes it seem as if because you changed your oil, you could design that engine for the next Formula One event. Humility actually appreciates that there are differences and accepts that there are differences, right? Humility is is, um, willing to learn. It's willing to be taught. It's teachability. As I said, humility is embracing the station in which God has placed you. That is why our passage begins where it does. It tells the younger men to remember that they are younger men. And they're they're older men. Now here, as he uses elder, I think he's talking about older men. He's not now talking about the office that he just got done talking about. He's telling the younger men to respect age. Respect that you're not the older man. And as younger men, they should remember that they are subject to their elders, those that are older than them. A humble child remembers that she is subject to her father and mother. A humble employee remembers that he is subject to his boss. A humble student remembers that he's subject to his teachers and professors. A humble church member remembers that he's subject to his pastors and elders. A humble pastor remembers that he's subject to his presbytery. Right? A humble wife remembers that she is subject to her husband. A humble citizen remembers that he is subject to the laws of the state, the police, and those elected to office by those people. And so humility humility is understanding and embracing your station in life. In his commentary, John Calvin says this about humility, and it contributes to the definition I'm trying to amass here. Calvin writes, The humble are those who, being emptied of every confidence in their own power, being emptied of every confidence in their own power, in their own wisdom, or in their own righteousness, seek every good from God alone emptied of their own power, wisdom, smarts, righteousness, holiness, whatever you want to call it, emptied of it and seeks all their good from Jesus Christ alone, from God above. Now that's helpful, isn't it? That's a helpful definition. You and I have been taught since we were wee little ones to be confident in our own power, wisdom, and righteousness. Well, maybe we haven't been taught that at home, but we've been taught it in a thousand other places, right? 
Our cultural gurus have told us that we can be whatever we want to be and we can do whatever we want to do and we can assert our own personal reality in the face of any real reality. We can... um, We take that mindset in through the commercials that we watch and the books we read and the heroes that we worship. We've been told that we are independent people and independence seeps into us, even into our attitude toward God. We will take and leave what we like and don't like about God's word, even. We have much confidence in our own personal power, wisdom, and righteousness. We have no need to come humbly to the Lord, confessing our weakness, our lack of wisdom, our unrighteousness. But the humble man does that continuously. It is his creed that he needs God desperately. He knows that no good lies in him. He has a negative view of himself. That makes him cling to God's goodness, to God's wisdom, and to God's righteousness. And that being the case, he is more than willing to accept the authorities that his good father has erected in this world. As a young man, he does not assert his superiority. He subjects himself to those older, those more experienced those wiser than himself. Notice that the Apostle Peter draws back and says, and all of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Why does he, you know, why does he use that image, first of all, of clothing ourselves with humility? I think it's because underneath that clothing is the very opposite of humility. We need the covering of humility because our natural state, our natural way, what we're just given to naturally by being a son of Adam is to be proud. He's not telling us just to put on a costume of pretended humility. He's telling us that our natural disposition is to be proud and we must cover that pride. We must stifle that pride and subdue that pride by clothing ourselves with genuine humility. Humility is never natural to a sinner. And even as redeemed people, we still have sinful tendencies. So the church is to be a society of people who come together in the clothing of humility. It is one thing to honor others by dressing up with fancy clothes for worship. That's a fine thing to do, but it's very easy. Right? It's very easy. It is another thing to arrive here at the building clothed in humility. I mean, we've already had arguments about hand sanitizer and face masks. It's hard to arrive here at the church building considering others as more important than yourself. Not depending on your knowledge of such and such, but relying only on God for all good. Now, what incentive do we have in, in pursuing humility? What incentive do we have? The answer is put next in the apostles' letter. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Now listen to that. Children, listen to that. All of you, listen to that. God is opposed God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Scripture says, For though the Lord is exalted, yet He regards the lowly, but the haughty, the proud, He knows from afar. And Scripture also says, Though He scoffs at the scoffers, yet He gives grace to the humble. That's what God does. So the answer to my question, what incentive is there in pursuing humility, is this. The first incentive is you will not have God as your enemy if you pursue humility. Did you hear me? Right? If you do not clothe yourself with humility, you will have God as your enemy. That is what it means to have God against you or God in opposition to you. It is said every one of us has within him the soul of a king. Every one of us has in us, you know, the bravado, the pride, the soul, the fatness of a king. Our pride swells any time we are corrected, even by one in authority. But if we are unwilling to submit to the authorities that God has put in our lives, then ultimately we are unwilling to submit to God himself. Isn't that clear? And when we are unwilling to bow the knees then to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, well, then God rises up as your enemy. An omnipotent enemy. An omnipotent enemy. He does not play around with his enemies. Does God trifle with his enemies? He is the ultimate authority because by him all things were made in heaven and on earth. Here again is Calvin's statement on this He says, it's a most grievous threatening when he says that all who seek to elevate themselves shall have God as their enemy who will lay them low. But on the contrary, he says of the humble that God will be propitious and favorable to them. We are to imagine that God has two hands. The one which like a hammer beats down and breaks in pieces those who rise up themselves. And the other which raises up the humble who willingly let them down themselves and is like a firm prop to sustain him. Were we really convinced of this and had it deeply fixed in our minds, who of us would dare by pride to urge war with God? But the hope of impunity now makes us fearlessly to raise up our horn to heaven. Let then this declaration of Peter be as I love this, a celestial thunderbolt to make men humble. A celestial thunderbolt to make men humble. God, and that thunderbolt is simply this, God is opposed to the proud. God is opposed to the proud. God sets himself up against the proud. God makes the proud his enemy because they've made themselves his enemy. Now, dear brothers and sisters, think on both sides of this equation. There 
is the threat that God will be opposed to you in your pride. And there is the promise that God will give you grace in your humility. Right? Do you want God opposed to you? Continue to be proud. Continue to call your siblings idiots. Continue to rebel against every institution of God. Continue to scoff at the bank teller. But on the other hand, do you want to see God smile? Do you honestly want to see God smile? Some of you may want to avoid God as as your enemy, but you haven't got to the point where you actually love God and want to see your Father in heaven smile at you. You just don't want him angry with you. You don't really love him. But do do, do you want to see God smile? Do you want to receive grace from the Lord, which you desperately need as a sinner? Do you want to please your Father in heaven? Do you want to imitate your older brother, Jesus Christ? Have you come to the end of yourself? Have you come to the end of your power? Have you come to the end of your wisdom and the end of your righteousness? And now you realize that you have this need of God's grace. Well, then be humble. Will you continue to assert yourself and bloat yourself up with pride? Well, then you will be humbled. You will be humbled, yes, by other men who surpass your wisdom and your righteousness and your power. But most importantly, by God himself. You will live and die as an enemy of God. On the other hand, will you humble yourself and fight against your ugly pride? If so, God will exalt you. Exalt you. He will make you ride on the heights of the earth. He will delight in you. Right? He will welcome you into his presence like he's welcoming an old friend. His grace will ooze out everywhere in your life. then in verse 6, we read that in humbling ourselves, God will exalt us at the proper time. At the proper time. Right? The proud believe that now, the proud believe that now is always the right time for them to be exalted. They cannot leave a moment go by in which they are not boasting in their own power, their own wisdom, or righteousness. We really are obnoxious in this, aren't we? All of us are really obnoxious in this. We sit in session meetings and just try to outdo one another with our righteousness. I mean, it's constantly, constantly happening. And then, and then you think about our thoughts. We're always quick to belittle others and defend ourselves. That's where our thoughts have been trained to go, like muscle memory. You know, consider others idiots, defend your own actions. That's like 90% of our brain capacity each week. We are continually a triggered people. We make fun of people talking about microaggressions. But the fact of the matter is this. We are continually triggered by the the micro-microaggressions. Mini-microaggressions. I don't know how to 
miniest, microest aggressions. It really is wearying, isn't it? It is against our nature to remember humility when, the, you know, when, when being the recipient of someone's judgments, whether those judgments be true or false. Every insult cast at us is another reminder, actually, to be humble. Every insult, every unjustified insult that comes our way is just another reminder that we should be humble. It is true of every one of us that we are much worse than our insulters make us out to be. Much worse. Much more weak. You have no idea the thoughts that go through my head. With every insult, we could genuinely respond, and you don't know the half of it. You don't know the half of it. The humble man can even receive the insults of another and be convicted of his own sins. The humble man can be insulted in a derogatory, nasty, inflammatory way and actually be convicted of his own sins. Can you imagine that? Can you? That's never happened to you, has it? But the humble man, that happens. But the proud man takes every moment to exalt himself. Everybody else is an idiot in his eyes. The humble man, though, is patiently waiting. And what is he waiting for? He's waiting for the commendation of God, which will come later. Not right now. He does not live for the moment. He does not need the accolades of man because he is simply waiting for God's well done. That's the only accolade he ever wants to hear. God's well done. The final thing in this passage then now is how does humility connect with freedom from anxiety? Why does the Apostle Paul start speaking of anxiety now? The Apostle writes, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So those that humble themselves under God's powerful hand are free to cast their anxieties on him. The proud man, though, is unwilling to look to God, but keeps striving in his own power. Everything he does is about maintaining his own control. Pride begets anxiety because pride will not admit of any need of help. Harrow writes, The casting away of our pride brings with it the immediate blessing of being invited to cast away all our burdens of fear and anxiety. He, his blessing is unlimited for Peter, tells us to cast all our anxieties upon the Lord. Those who humble themselves under God's hand do so not in proud self-reliance, but with a trusting reliance upon the capability of God to tend to their burdens with a competence infinitely greater than their own. Right? The, the proud man thinks he's competent and can care for all of his anxieties and can, can work everything out. The humble man is like, no way, I cannot do this. God, be to me what I need. Be to me what I lack. That's really 
good, isn't it? The proud are in everything self-reliant. Self-reliant. And self-reliance is an unchristian attitude. The humble are just the opposite. They, they do not trust themselves because they know their own weakness. The proud are delusional, thinking themselves in control. The humble know better, and in desperation, they throw their anxieties to the Lord, and they insist that He deal with them because, man, I'm a wreck. I do not know how to be a father. I do not know how to get this project done. I do not know how, how to, to stop my mouth from saying derogatory things. And they say, God, help me. God, help me. So if you are anxious, here's the weird thing. If you are anxious, perhaps it's not because you don't know how to handle stress or don't have coping mechanisms or the, the, you know, the right um, you know, herbs, vitamins in your system. Perhaps it's because you are proud. You're proud. Perhaps the first step toward us quitting our anxiety is to repent of our proud self-reliance. You do not know better than the Lord. You are not to live for tomorrow. You are to live for today, right? For the day in humble reliance upon the grace of Almighty God. Pride, though, breeds anxiety, and anxiety breeds more pride. The only way to break that cycle is to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humility, in a sense, gives up only to find that in giving up, they've abandoned themselves to God's will and to God's help. So have you grown weary? Have you grown weary of yourself and your pride? Have you come to the end of, of that of your self-reliant wickedness? Have you grown weary of how your pride places burdens on everybody around you? Your pride places burdens on your spouse, on your bosses, on your parents, on that poor police officer who pulled you over? Are you disabled by your anxiety, but in your pride, unwilling to relinquish control? Are you so proud that you think God would make a mess of your situation? Are you tired of having to be fierce of mind? Tired of having to be fierce of mind? Well, turn to Christ, right? Take his yoke upon you and learn from him. He is gentle and humble in heart. And remember this, remember this, remember this. Actually remember this. Tomorrow, wake up thinking about this. God cares for you. God cares for you. The Almighty God who sits enthroned in heaven cares for you. If, if it is true that God cares for you, you don't need to argue and clamor and rebel. You just don't need to do that. He knows. He is near. He's for you. 
right? Do you need rest? Then humble yourselves before God. Humble. Humility. Humility of mind in our church would lead to loving service and deep comfort for one another and for our own conscience. Listen to, listen to this section, and this is where I'll close. Listen to this section of Psalm 37. Because it has to do with this, this um, struggle between humility and pride. And coming to the Lord and releasing our burdens to him. Here's what it says, Psalm 37. I'll read about the first half. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious toward wrongdoers. For they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him in him and he will do it he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday rest in the lord and wait patiently for him do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who carries out wicked schemes cease from anger and forsake wrath do not fret it only leads to evil doing for evil doers will be cut off God is opposed to the proud. But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more, and you will look carefully for his place and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. The humble inherit the land, right? The humble inherit the land of God's kingdom. It's all for them. 